give the Lord a hand clap this morning. He's the one who needs the... Thank you, sir. So, I'm going to set this off to the side. That right there may be someone else's. Praise God. Got a battery here if anybody needs one. Holler at me. I'll get it to you this morning. So, it's good to see everybody this morning. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, man, you sure are precious to the Lord. Yes, you are. So precious in the sight of the Lord. Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to start a new sermon series um, called Enjoying God. And this first message I'm going to be, if you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. We'll read there in just a moment. And the, first, uh, the title of this first message is called Rest for the Weary. But here's the thing, when you talk about enjoying God, I think sometimes even that phrase in particular, uh, we don't think about it a lot. Because when we think about God, we think about serving God, we think about worshiping God, we think about working for God, doing something for God, being on mission for God. But we don't often think about taking time to actually learn how to enjoy God in a love relationship. So it's even a little bit different when we think about it in those terms. And I, I want to talk to you about what are some of the pitfalls and some of the hindrances in our life right now that actually keep us from enjoying God the way that he would have us to enjoy him. And the other question is how do we actually find rest when our lives and our world is so restless? How do we figure out a way to find the rest that Jesus, Jesus actually offers? Because I want to get into here in just a minute in Matthew chapter 11, probably one of the greatest invitations that Jesus gives, and it's centered around this idea of rest. But if you and I, uh, you know, it's probably a scripture that most of us know, but at the end of the day we say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and, and I believe in Jesus, but at the end of the day I don't know how well I'm actually resting if I get right down to it. And I think sometimes the reason we don't, uh, receive Jesus's invitation of rest for our weary souls is because we don't really understand it that well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I we went on a vacation, and uh, we, we when my wife and I got married, we didn't really do a honeymoon or anything. She was busy doing certain things, and I couldn't get her away from work, and so we didn't really take a honeymoon. And I told her I was like, you know what? Listen, Andrea, here's the thing. You know, I'm getting old. I don't know how many years I got left. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to plan a vacation, and I want this thing to be all included. I don't want to have to lift a finger. I want to be able to just, I don't want to have to pick nothing out. I just want to go and set as much as I can, because I just want to do that one time in my life. I said, so I'm scheduling a vacation, and you can go if you want, but I'm going with you or without you. And, and so I scheduled that, and we went, and when we got there, you know, we, we got to this place, and because it was our anniversary uh, they said something like, uh, listen, we're going to invite you. We want to give you, we want to extend an invitation to you since it's, since it's your anniversary. We want you to come to the spa. You pick the day and, and you get, you, you get a full massage and all this. And I'm thinking, and they're like, oh, this is the most relaxing experience. And people were saying, oh, you're going to love this. It's the most relaxing part of the entire thing. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if this sounds relaxing or not. Like somebody touching me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this is going to be relaxing or not, but, but I'll take the risk. Like I'll, I'll trust you in this and I believe what you're saying and I'll take the invitation and when I get there I don't know if y'all have ever done anything like that I'm a weird dude to begin with they bring me into a room with another guy and they're like they're like you know they're speaking in a, a little bit of dialect they're saying you all take clothes off put a robe on be fine I'm like no <laughs> I'm not feeling relaxed all right lady uh, <laughs> this uh, so you know and then you get on a bed and there's another couple in the room I don't know it was weird all right the point is they promised me relaxation, but they didn't come through on it. 
And I think probably, you know, by the time it was all said and done, I finally let go of a few things and I enjoyed the massage or whatever. All right, weird times. I don't know. I didn't even know why I was going to share that this morning, but uh, I should have backed out. But anyway, the point being is I didn't fully understand the invitation and I had some reservations about the invitation. And I think sometimes we don't fully understand Jesus' invitation and we're not fully receiving the invitation that he brings. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he says this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray over this together. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And every single person, I believe, came in here today under some kind of a yoke, God. They came probably with weariness in their soul, many of them with different burdens, uh, depending on what they're going through in life. And Jesus, if there's anything that I believe we need right now, it is this promise active in our hearts and in our souls so that we truly live from a place of rest that you offer us. And so, God, a lot of times we don't know how to get there. We can read it on the page but we don't know how to receive it in our hearts. So I'm praying, Lord, that this morning, by the power of your Spirit, you would teach us how to receive this rest that you offer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to give you two quick uh, insights uh, this morning on some challenges for us to experience rest because I believe that many of us, if we were honest with ourselves, we'd say, man, I, at the end of the day, if somebody pushed in and asked me, I'd probably say, I'm a little bit overwhelmed, I'm a little bit burdened. And so number one, we have to acknowledge our weariness. And the reason I say that is because I think most of us, when you are asked, are you doing well, How, how's it going, oh yeah, doing good. But if you were to actually press down into the depths of your soul, you're actually probably pretty weary, pretty burdened, pretty worn out, but you've just learned to press through and go on. And I think many of us, we have to acknowledge our weariness. Now, Jesus used these two words, weary and burdened. And if you look at it in the Greek language, this word weary, a definition for it is to be burnt out to the point of exhaustion. You're just at a point where you're thinking, man, I, I'm so burnt out. I'm burnt out with my job. I'm burnt out with the day-to-day. -day. I'm struggling going on anymore, but I just, I just keep pressing through and just keep going. But really, at the end of the day, what I want to do is I want to disconnect and I want to get away from everything because I am worn out to the point of exhaustion and I don't have the energy to go on. The other word that he uses is burdened. And this, this word for burdened is the idea that somebody has put a, a, a load or a weight on your shoulders. Now, this, this weight we all know, ultimately, is a, there's a weight that comes from sin itself. And that Jesus wants to lift that weight of sin off of our lives. And he wants to lift that burden off of our lives. But see, many of us, we came in here with other burdens as well. We came in here with burdens that may be financial burdens. They may be... Um, relational burdens it may be a, a marriage issue it could be an issue with our children it could be uh, all kinds of different things that we're currently going through that we're wrestling with that when we go to bed at night we're thinking about it and it's a burden when we wake up in the morning morning we're thinking about it and it is a burden that we are carrying where we are overloaded and we are weighed down now in the context of this message in particular I want to get to some of those burdens later but in the context of this message in particular Jesus is actually addressing the Pharisees 
and the people around them. And he's saying, look, if you all are weary and you're burdened under the weight of the law and legalism that the Pharisees are putting on you, he said, come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. Because for 1,600 years, the people of God were under the law and they had 613 laws that they had to keep flawlessly. And to go ahead and one-up that, the Pharisees actually added more laws onto the 613 so that you might not break the first laws. Like if you had to keep the Sabbath, they would put restrictions on, all right, you can't go get your donkey, you can't go get your ox, you can't move them, you can't pick up a rope, you can't tie your shoes on the Sabbath. Those weren't laws except they were added later on, but it became a wearisome burden to do everything right, to offer the right sacrifices, to do everything right in the temple, to eat the right foods, to wear the right clothes, to say the right things. And they believed none of them could ever reach that standard. They tried so hard week by week, day by day. And when they came into the temple of God, they wanted to explode in praise to God, but there was this underlying condemnation. Man, I've not prayed enough. I've not kept the sacrifices enough. I've not kept every law to a T. I've messed up in some area. And they were constantly under the weight and burden of that legalism. Now, many people, I would argue, that even today are still under the weight of that legalism and that burden of legalism. Would you say amen to that? Some people come in, man, they want to explode to God, but they think, man, I've not prayed enough. I've not done enough I did this I'm still battling this addiction I still struggled I even cussed this week somebody you know what I'm saying like there's certain things in your life that come up and you're wondering man will God even accept me and the beautiful thing is is that Jesus is saying if you're under the yoke of that legalism what you need to understand is there's only one man throughout human history who kept the law of God flawlessly and that's me but see even though I kept it flawlessly what I did was I took all of that perfection to the cross and I bore the penalty of sin against the breaking of those commandments as if I'd broken every single one therefore you could have my righteousness I did what you could not do so that you could come into the presence of God freely and know that you are accepted and know that you are loved and know that you are cleansed no matter how many times you failed this week no matter how much little you prayed this week you can still come and explode in praise to God because Jesus has taken the burden and the weight of legalism off of your life. Now that's the gift of the gospel. Obviously God wants us to keep his commandments, but see, there, there, there's, different, there's, there's a difference between this. Like the scripture says, Jesus even said, if you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commandments. He said that. And we believe that we should keep the commandments of God, but see, you have to see the prerequisite for keeping his commandments. He says, if you love me, essentially by default, you will keep my commandments. It'll come out of your heart because you are in a love relationship with me and my, my commandments are no longer burdensome because they desire to be done from your heart within. You're not struggling trying to get right with God and struggling trying to keep the commandments of God because a love relationship with Jesus is at the forefront of your life. Out of your heart flows rivers of living water and you keep the commandments of God. Because at the center of this thing is not about keeping a bunch of rules or having a bunch of church attendance or doing all these things flawlessly but it is about a love relationship with God Jesus came to do what we could not do and invited us into a new way of law life that is not about law keeping but is centered on a love relationship with him now I learned this early on because when I first started my relationship with God I was I had I had addictions I had drug addictions had alcohol addictions had pornography addictions I 
had a little bit of hatred and bitterness in my heart. I had some pain and woundedness in my heart. I wasn't a big fan of myself at the time. I was battling depression usually. And, and, and I was seeking out the truth in life. I read a lot of different books, tried other religions, finally started reading the Bible. And my heart was convicted when I was reading the Bible. And I, and I start reading about this Jesus who has this relationship with his heavenly Father. And he talks about how we pray in secret and how we fast in secret and how he would go to a mountainside and pray. And so, you know what I started to do? I started reading the Bible. And at that particular time, I moved out of the apartment with my buddies where I was surrounded by the things I was trying to get set free from and I move into an apartment with my sister in Lexington and she's got this huge field in in the back of her house and I'd take her little dog named Samson who had supernatural strength and power and we didn't cut his hair ever because if you did he'd lose it and uh and we and I would walk that dog out to uh the field and we would go out in the field and here's saying I wasn't going to church at the time I thought church people were weird most of the pastors that I'd met, one tell me one thing, the other one tell me another thing. They just seemed confusing to me. And so I wasn't ready for that, really. I, I just wanted to know God. That was, my, that was my simple, I wanted to know the truth. And I was convicted and I realized that my life was in shambles and I needed something. And I would go out in that field, man, and it was the first place that I learned to worship God. Wasn't nobody around. It was me and God. I'd lift my hands. I'd walk around in that field, and I would pray. I would read the Scripture. I'd spend an hour. I'd spend two hours sometimes, sometimes even longer. And I developed my relationship with God there. And when I was there, see, I wasn't going to God because I needed Him to supply me with a good job. I wasn't going to God because I was asking Him for a family. I wasn't going to God because I needed Him to do this. I was simply going to God because I wanted to know Him. I wanted to love Him. I wanted Him to reveal Himself to me. And I wanted this relationship that so many people talked about. And in the middle of that relationship, God met me where I was at and slowly began to work on my heart because I was walking with Him in the garden in the cool of the day. What God has wanted from us from the beginning was a simple love relationship where just like Adam and Eve, we walked with Him in the garden of the cool of the day and Satan works full time to hinder that relationship. So God brings me to a point. Look, I wasn't even wanting a ministry. I didn't want a pastor. If you'd have told me, hey, Clay, one day you're going to pastor at that point, I would have laughed you out of the room. I'd have said, that's ridiculous and absurd. It ain't going to happen. But see, God started to deal with my heart. And out of that love relationship where I wanted nothing more than just him, he started to set me free. And out of that started to flow ministry. And out of that started began a calling in my heart that I knew this is what I'm called into. But guess what? Here's what's so interesting about our relationship with God. And this is why Jesus told one church in the book of Revelation, you've left your first love. Because even myself, what we can do is we can get caught up in working for God, doing ministry, preaching the gospel, getting sermons together, serving in the community, that we can forget that those things are only secondary in the kingdom of God, that what comes first is your love relationship with God. You can do for God, work for God, serve God, do all of those things, and it be flowing from a dry place in your heart because you don't have and a relationship with Jesus where you're learning to enjoy Him. And I've gotten away from that so many times, and in my soul, I will become weary and burdened, and even the ministry, there's no joy in it. And I'll think to myself, God, what is it? And He'll say, Son, you've got so busy that you've forgotten what is the most important thing in your life, and that is to enjoy a love relationship with me because that's where all life flows from. And so Jesus is constantly trying to bring us back into this place. And John Piper, he quoted uh, the Westminster Catechism, and it actually says this. It says that the chief end of man is to glorify God 
and enjoy Him forever. Now John Piper changed that, and he said the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And what he's arguing is, is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. He says, you know what brings the most glory to God in your life is when you are enjoying your love relationship with Him. And all of, look, 99% of our problems and our issues and our depression and our anxiety and our fears and our worries and our ministry struggles and whatever we're dealing with, the root cause of it is because somehow we have gotten disconnected from having communion with Him and walking with Him in the garden in the cool of the day. We've gotten away, we've got into the busyness and the noise of the life to where we're no longer hearing His still small voice in the quietness of our hearts. And He's saying, you know what? God is most glorified when we're satisfied in nothing else but Him. And the problem is the world offers us a million other things to come and seek satisfaction in, and we begin to lose that. Now, there's several scriptures. Psalm 37, 4 says it like this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I remember when I was uh, a, kind of a youth leader at one point back in the day, there would be a, a couple of young girls came to me and they were crying because they wanted a new car and a kitty cat and a boyfriend or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, those are desperate times. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've got to have this new car and a kitty cat. And, and I'm not trying to make fun of little girls. I'm sorry. Uh, they're precious. But they quote this scripture to me and said, but it says delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right? Basically, you mean, well, if I go to church and I pray and I do what I'm supposed to do, God will give me the things that I want. That's not what this scripture is saying. This scripture is saying when you begin to enjoy the Lord and your delight is in Him, that He gives you His desires and your desires and His desires become one. And when you have the same desires that God has, all of a sudden you enter into peace and you enter into rest and you enter into joy because you found your enjoyment and your satisfaction in the Lord alone and your desires are His desires and you found peace. Amen. Psalm 32, 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Psalm 33, 1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord. You have scripture after scripture of our enjoyment in the Lord Himself. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48 says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Now, what, I know that sounds strong, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, because you did not learn how to enjoy the Lord and serve Him with gladness of heart, what you ended up doing was seeking satisfaction in other things, and those other things actually became enemies to you because they tried to take the place of God, like Jeremy preached about last week, and enslaved you to something that was other than God. Jeremiah 2, verse 12 and 13 says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? The one thing that was going to bring you satisfaction and, and, and joy and peace in your life was a love relationship with me. But you thought somehow, some way, maybe, see, the thing about it is, is Satan even deceives us into believing that church attendance is a love relationship with Jesus. 
Amen. Church attendance is fantastic. Thank God we get together, we get to worship together, we get to hear the Lord. But see, this is just, this is almost like a celebration of us coming together and to be fed and nurtured and strengthened in corporate worship so that we can go out and continue our relationship with God throughout the week and overflow into the earth to reach the world for the glory of Christ. Amen. But see, he, he deceives us into believing that somehow we can put little peripheral things in our life. We can pray when we drive down the road. I can attend church on Sunday. But at the end of the day, I don't have that deep, soul-nurturing relationship with Jesus. And I'm weary and broken down on the inside. And I'm now seeking out other things to bring me satisfaction and peace. I had Jesus on on the weekends. But I'm actually looking for other things to bring me satisfaction and peace. I'm looking for something else to attend to my wounds. I'm looking for something else to help me with my depression and my anxiety. I don't go to the one fountain of life. I go to other cisterns that actually at the end of the day hold no water and leave me more empty than I was before. And so God's inviting us into this. And I'll say this, the essence of sin and evil is to pursue satisfaction outside of God. Every sin ultimately comes from the fact that we don't find our satisfaction and enjoyment in God, and so we are tempted to pursue other things to meet that gaping hole and that need, that desperate need in our hearts. And that is about 90% of Satan's temptations is to get you to choose something other than God in your life to meet your needs. So how many, honestly, at the end of the day, would you admit, man, I'm worn out? I'm worn out. If you, if you really press in, like how many of you, 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 you know, you, hey, you do a little chit-chat and you're talking to people, you're like, how you doing, man? How many have you ever talked to a person and been like, how you doing? And they're like, you know what, to be honest with you, I just reached like a new level of tranquility. I mean, peace in my life is at an all-time high right now. I, I can't even explain it. You know, I go home at the end of the day, I'm in, I'm in a borderline meditative state on the couch. My kids are screaming, but I don't even hear it, bro. I'm like in a place, I feel like I'm levitating, but I look down at the ground and I realize, no, my, my feet are planted. I'm just at peace. People don't say that, do they? When you ask people how they're doing, what you've been up to, what do they always say? What do they always say? They say, I am busy. We're busy. But you know what's so ridiculous about Americans is when we say we're busy, we wear it as a badge of honor. We, we think that if you don't say you're busy, somehow you're shirking on the task and you're a, an inferior human being because you ain't quite doing enough. Everybody needs to be doing more. And what are you actually doing? Well, you don't work and you don't do like, and, and that's the whole thing. Everybody needs to be doing more, 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 harder, 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 as much as they possibly can. But if you look inside of each and every one's human soul, they don't have peace. They don't have rest. They're just running around trying to do as much as they possibly can. The DSM-5 which is a diagnosis book on mental disorders. They put more and more mental disorders in that book year after year. And a while back, they actually added a mental disorder to it. And you know what the mental disorder is called? It's kind of interesting. It's called hurry sickness. And y'all are going to find out, man, I just got diagnosed this morning. Here's, here's, here's their definition for hurry sickness. It's a continual struggle to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more or more events, events in less and less time. Anybody say, man, that's what I do every week. We've been doing that right now, right? And so there's, a, there's a, two doctors, Rosemary Sword, who's actually a time perspective therapist. So if you sit down with this therapist, she's going to look at your schedule and be like, you got this all wrong. Like, you're not doing well with your time. 
uh, and, and a guy named Philip Zimbardo. And here's what they said. They said there's many symptoms. They listed many symptoms of hurry sickness, and I just want to give you three so you can kind of relate with me here. Number one, feeling Ill- irritable at a delay. So one, one, of the, one of the things they said is like if you go into a grocery store and you see the people in lines, like you're actually, you, 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 you'll take some time to look for which line has the least amount of people in it because you got, you got stuff to do, buddy. i, I got to be somewhere here in just a minute. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's one symptom of hurry sickness. Anybody in here do that? No, we don't do that. Number two, always having a sense of urgency. Uh, one, one example they used was like if you're coming up to, to a stoplight or a red light, you're actually looking for the line at the stoplight that has the least amount of cars, and you'll weave out to get into the shorter line. I've got to get in front of two cars here, you know. Save me at least 13 seconds, you know what I'm saying? On, on the parkway, you'll pass a dude going 55 because you know you can get there 13 seconds quicker to London than he got there. Like he's going to pull in right behind you, but I've got to get around him. You know, that's, that's, that's hurry sickness. Number three, multitasking until you forget the task at hand. The issue is with our phones is that we have actually rewired our brains, that we multitask in such short bursts that now we actually have in our mind compartmentalized like 11 things we're doing while answering 14 messages and saying, I'm going to go into this room to do this while I'm answering this message. And when you go into the room, you say, what did I come in here to do right then? Anybody ever done that? That's a symptom of hurry sickness because we're not capable of actually processing that much information at a time. We are actually designed to have a slower rhythm to life and our current world has been sped up, I'm going to say by the demonic forces of darkness to a degree that it has unprogrammed us to know how to effectively live a, a rhythm with God that keeps us holy and healthy and spiritually strong. That's going to be my argument. I believe that. And so maybe the reason that we're not at peace and we're not enjoying God the way that God intended us to enjoy Him is because we actually haven't put time in our schedule to do so. Now we say this, like this is one of those messages at, at the beginning of the year we hone in on this and we try to implement spiritual disciplines and we tell people to read their Bible and we talk about taking time to pray and, and we have prayer meetings. But, but if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times what we realize is, yeah, I do good for a week or so. But then I allow life to get back to me and I get so caught up in the noise and busyness of life that I eventually allow my relationship with Jesus in the quiet place to go somewhere over in the corner and then I find myself weary and burdened and worn out with no spiritual strength. I'm witnessing to nobody. I'm talking to nobody about the Lord. I don't feel like praying for anybody and I wonder how I got in this place. And I can tell you, the devil has robbed us of our relationship and we're getting weak inwardly. And so, Corey Tinboom, who was a woman who hid some Jews during Nazi Germany, and she had a lot of wonderful things to say, really, but one thing that she said is, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll keep you busy. Amen. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll keep you busy. Because for a lot of Christians, it's not the issue. It's not, it's not that y'all are out committing adultery or, or getting wasted all the time or cussing everybody to pieces or just got pure hate in your heart and you're a violent axe murderer in the closet. Like that's not the, that's not the issue that y'all are dealing with. Most of y'all's issue is not a major sin issue. You're good church-going people. You love Jesus. But your biggest issue is the simple fact that you're so busy that you don't actually have time for God. That's the biggest issue. And that's what we struggle with. That's that's one of our biggest deals, and we don't know how to enjoy God anymore. So we're burdened. We're burnt burnt out. We're weary. 
there was a story done by the Wall Street Journal actually years ago. And pre-COVID, they found that 50% of physicians in the medical field say that they were burnt out. 97% of senior leaders of an organization say they are experiencing some form of burnout. And then 57% of employees in organizations are experiencing burnout. How many of you at your jobs, you know, I bet we'd get at least 57% in here this morning and say, you know what, I can't stand my job. <laughs> be honest with you, I'm always looking for another one. And if I got that one, you know what, I wouldn't like it either. Somebody amen me this morning. Like, that's a, and and we're, we're burnt out with what we're doing in life constantly. And, and, and here's the thing, part of the reason with that is we live in a culture that's constantly telling us, do more, go faster, make more money, work harder. You've not done enough. You've not done enough. You need to do more. You've not accomplished enough. You've not achieved enough. And there's always these bulletins saying you've not done enough. You need to do more. You need to produce more. But how many in life have ever produced or reached the achievement or met the goal and said oh my god rest has come into my soul thank you lord it never happens it never happens it's an illusion no matter how much money you make no matter how successful you are and maybe you get the award or you reach the pinnacle of what you're doing currently it never actually brings satisfaction because it was not designed to bring satisfaction but satan has rewired our world system into a position where it's almost like, this is kind of what I feel like sometimes, like I'm running a marathon, and then I cross the line and think, man, thank God I got done with that, only for somebody to come alongside and hand me a bicycle and say, bro, this isn't a marathon, it's a biathlon, you got the bike to ride. And then so you get on the bike, and you run that out, and you get done, you think, man, thank God that's over, now I've got, now I've got the bike aside, only for somebody to hand you goggles and say, bro, it's a triathlon, you still got some swimming to do. Like life just keeps, how many of you said, I've said this before, after this week, should slow down, I'll get up with you. <laughs> out, of the, out of this week give me two weeks I'll get back with you it should slow down out of that anybody done that one yeah it's probably not going to slow down uh, it's probably not our world is, is high speed extremely fast but here's the point that I'm making I'm not saying that we don't need to be working that we don't need to be busy, that we don't need to be doing things and being efficient I think Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and our model for life was one of the busiest humans on planet earth. I mean, he was running around healing the sick, raising the dead, walking 10 miles to this city, walking 10 miles to that city, feeding 5,000. He was as busy as all get out, but there was something very specific about Jesus. Even though he was very busy, he was never in a hurry, he was never rushed, and he was never anxious. He was always operating from a place of rest and a place of peace. Now, if I read this same scripture, Matthew 11, from the message, I want to read it to you because it says a little phrase that I like a lot. Verse 28, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and, I'll, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so he uses this phrase here in the message, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And what's so beautiful about that is if you read about the life of Jesus, is he had rhythms to his life. 
He had rhythms of work and he had rhythms of rest. And at the center of his rhythms of rest was a deep, intimate relationship with his heavenly father through the Holy Spirit that none of even his disciples around him had even close to. He would wake up early in the morning, the scripture says, get away from his disciples, go into a solitary place and pray. Some nights after he had worked all day, he knew that the rest that I'm seeking is more important than sleep. Even though, how many in here believe sleep's important? Amen, I'm for it. Like, like Jesus, at one of the most pivotal times in, in, in the disciples' lives, they're scared to death. Hey, we're going to die. We're out in the middle of a storm. You know where Jesus is at? In the bottom, asleep on a pillow. I'm thinking, that's my dude right there. You know what I'm saying? That, that, he knows all about it. But, but Jesus found a rhythm of rest. And I want to argue to you that Jesus had such a relationship with his father. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. And I only say what I hear my father speaking. And that was because he had an intimate relationship with with the father in the secret place. But I want to say this. Jesus didn't just go pray to the father all night long simply because he had work to do. Or simply because I need power and anointing to get the job done. No, no, no. He went to his father... Because he was in love with his father. He went to his father because he enjoyed being with him more than anything else. He went to his father because he knew cell phones and Netflix would not satisfy his soul like the father would. That's why he went. Now the byproduct of his enjoyment and his relationship with the father was a calling in which he knew the will of God and he was enabled to perform it. I will argue this as well. I made a lot of arguments this morning. Many of you are called, but you've not yet heard the calling in your heart because your life is too noisy to actually hear the voice of the Father in the secret place to know that calling for yourself. Jesus heard the will of God and knew the calling on his life because he went to the Father in the secret place simply out of enjoyment of the Father and relationship with the Father. And in that place where he was in love with the Father, that's where he heard the call of God and was enabled to accomplish what he's doing. I, we shouldn't come to God because we say, man, I know I've got a calling on my life and I've got to do it. I'm going to go to God out of obligation in hopes that he'll give me power to accomplish what I need to do. No. I go to God because he loves me. I go to God because I love Him. And that is the core of our meaning and purpose in life. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Amen. And so here's the thing, here's the issue that we face, is that if we're, Jesus knew this, if we're going to have an outer life that serves Him, we must have a robust inner life that sustains it. Amen. And that's so important because we all want to serve God and we all want to be able to minister to people and we all want to be effective in our lives and we all want to be a non-anxious presence in our world and, and be able to offer peace and pray for somebody and it be powerful and, and, and for somebody to come for us to, to us for advice and us to actually be able to offer them words of wisdom. But the problem is, is we want to do the external life of Jesus without having the internal life of Jesus. And so he invites us into this place You say, well, how do you do that? Here's the thing. You cannot manufacture a quiet time with the Lord. You cannot just mass produce a quiet time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is what we all try to do, right? If you say, well, we we, we could do a sermon series on prayer, and everybody would be like, well, you know, I like to pray when I'm in the shower. That's a great time to pray. Well, I I like to pray when I'm driving down the road. Well, that's an excellent time to pray as well. But what I'm offering to you is this idea that those are peripheral times of intimacy with God. They're great, but they're peripheral. 
They're secondary in nature. What if I said, you know what? I mean, I don't talk to my wife much, but when I drive, I get just enough time to call her. I don't really like to spend time with my wife, but when I'm in the shower, I say, honey, I, I, I got some time. I'm washing right now. Come over here. You know what I'm saying? Do y'all understand what I'm saying? A relationship with God, if it is a love relationship, means that I say no to a whole lot of things in order to say yes to the main thing. And that means that, that my enjoyment and my life and my relationship with God, I don't find ways to work it in. I find ways to work all the other stuff in. I find ways to work ball games and birthday parties and events and everything else in around my relationship with God. That has to be the core, central point and purpose to why we live. And if that is the truth, and if what Jesus is saying is true, I know this is a hard word, y'all. But if what Jesus is saying is true, then he gives us the antidote for our weariness. And number two, and I've only got two points, praise God, is we need to accept the yoke of Jesus. We need to accept the yoke of Jesus. Now, in these scriptures, what does he say? He says, come to, who does he say come to? He says, come to me. And if you look at all of the personal pronouns in this scripture, let's read through it one more time. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Seven times in this statement to us, Jesus gives us an invitation, and seven times he points to himself, because seven is the divine number of rest and perfection. When God created the world, he worked six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. It's the divine number of rest. He actually took a day, and the first thing that God ever made holy was not humans or trees or sharks in the sea. The first thing that God ever made holy was a period of time that lasted 24 hours. And he said, you need to separate that time unto enjoyment to God. Now, a lot of people in the New Testament, New Covenant, you know, our churchgoers nowadays, we actually think that Keeping the Sabbath holy means going to church on Sunday. That's not really exactly what it means. And then most people will say, well, Jesus did away with the Sabbath. We don't need to keep it any longer. And, but here's what I want to say is that the Sabbath was not made for man, but, but, or, or the man, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man is what Jesus says. In other words, he's saying, I have given you this as a gift that I want you to actually take 24 hours to unplug from the world and enjoy God and His creation. Enjoy His gifts. And if you do that, what you're going to learn is an unforced rhythm of life where you are saturated with the presence of God and you don't trust in your ability to get things done because God is your provider. You actually believe that you could take a day and not contact people and not work and just plug into God and enjoy Him and enjoy His gifts and enjoy your family and rest in God's presence and He would actually nourish your soul and then also provide for you all the other six days. You begin to believe Him. You start to trust him as we sung and you believe that he's actually powerful enough to do that and you step into his rhythm because what God never said was work as hard as you possibly can seven days a week 24 hours a day get it done son no that is the mantra of the devil my friend amen I'm preaching better than y'all shouting this morning so Jesus promises us this rest, and he uses the illustration of a yoke. And for our young people in here, you have no idea what that is. I got a picture of a yoke on some oxen, amen. And we, because we got John Deere and Husqvarna, we don't really know 
what a yoke is anymore. We don't have that. We got John Deere, thank the Lord, and uh, we don't have to get our oxen to plow the ground. But what he would do is he, you know, back in those days, and, and they would put this yoke on, on, on a pair of oxen in order to p- plow a ground or whatever, pull a cart, whatever they were going to do. And you would think that if you put two oxen together, that naturally they would pull double the weight. But the reality is, if you do the math, they pull up to four times, quadruple the weight or more when they work together. And when one starts to slack a little bit, the yoke, the other one will actually pick up the slack and help to drive and pull his buddy along under, uh, under that yoke, so to speak. And, and Jesus is saying if you take on my yoke what you'll understand you'll begin to experience the fact that guess what I'm the one doing the pulling I even when you're weak and burnt out and you can't make it any further I'm the one that has the yoke and I have all power and I can sustain you but in order for you to experience the rest and the lightness of my yoke and my burden you actually have to take this yoke upon you because every single person that came into this room you came in here with some kind of yoke on your shoulders this is the way that Jesus teaches it. For, for those people, he said, you're actually wearing the yoke of the religious Pharisees. You're wearing the yoke of a set of teachings that says, if you do everything flawlessly, then God will accept you. That's the wrong set of teachings. We believe Jesus was the only one that did anything flawlessly, and in Christ, God has fully accepted me. So I take that yoke of dead religion off, right? But some of us, we wear yokes of, I've got to succeed in my career. Or some of us wear yokes of, I've got to keep up with the Joneses. I've got to make a certain amount of money, wear a certain kind of clothing, have a certain car and have a certain house, or I'm just not going to be satisfied. And then we don't make, we come up under a financial yoke or a financial burden because we just don't quite make ends meet at the end of the day and we don't reach that goal in our lives. Some of us, we have relational yokes. And we're under the pressure of the fact that, man, our, this relationship is broken. It didn't work. We're under yokes of, of all kind, maybe an internal struggle, an addiction that we're struggling with. But we bring that in here with this yoke upon our neck. And every single one of us, maybe in different areas, feel the pressure of life. Every single one of us. Now, we may have different ones. I feel the pressure of life. As a pastor, I'm not immune to the pressures of life. I'm not immune to anxiety. I'm not immune to depression. I'm not immune to uh, the struggles that come and, and even criticism, right? Like there's all kinds of things. Every time we make a decision at this church, I feel a little bit of pressure. You know what I'm saying? Because some people like it, some people don't. And some people let you know and some people go on. Like there's, everybody has different types of pressures and yokes that they're wearing. And Jesus is saying, I know you got those. I know there's pressures to life, but I want to give you a way to carry those pressures of life where you can get through it. Now, I remember in 2020, I feel like it was a pretty rough year. I took over this church fully in 2020, and at the same time, uh, you know, we went through a season where we closed down a daycare, COVID hit, we, uh, I, I took essentially control of this church and at the same time they shut everything down and we're trying to figure out how to have church during that time and then there were some personal things happening in my life at that particular time and 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 I, it was like the closest like if I've ever had a panic attack I had one that year you know what I'm saying there was just a meltdown in my mind where I had to recognize I was running myself ragged trying to make things happen and I needed to get back into a love relationship with God and rest and, and so I was battling that. I remember I went to a, a pastor's conference, and one of the things, I remember I was talking to an older guy. He'd been pastoring for 45 years, and I told him about all my struggles, and he just finally looked at me, and he said, Son, he said, would you please take a deep breath? He said, 
it, COVID's hit everybody. He said, nobody's expecting you to do a great job. Like, you can take a breath and rest. It's going to be okay. And we talked about it for a while, and I unloaded my burdens. And then, and then a guy stood up, and he talked about one of his pastors that had recently took his own life. And I'm thinking, is that what it's coming to in our world? Like, it's getting so bad that leaders who get up and speak on behalf of the one who is supposed to bring rest to our souls are now taking, taking their lives. And then that happened, and I remember I read this book called Church Planner by a guy named Darren Patrick. One, one, great book. I remember reading it and thinking, man, this guy's got so much wisdom. I wish one day I could write a book like this that would just help pastors and young, young men that are stepping out into what I'm stepping out into because it strengthened me. And in May 2020, I read an article, it just popped up, where he took his own life. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Because this man was hired on at churches as a consultant to help pastors with burnout. And I'm thinking, how, how is this happening in our world? And, but here's the thing. Week to week, day to day, what I notice is that we got a lot of people who experience burnout and an immense amount of anxiety. And we're all battling these things. And here's what's interesting is a woman who wrote about millennials, our generation, Ann Peterson, she said this. She said, burnout isn't a place to visit and come back from for millennials. It's our permanent residence. In other words, what she's saying is we're burning out and we don't even know it because we have so lived in burnout for so long that we've learned to push through when our inner resources are absolutely depleted. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like we're, absolute, we're walking around living a burned out life and we don't even acknowledge it because it's now our permanent place of residence and so we've learned to say well clay i don't really need prayer or i don't really need this or i don't really need a deeper wall. i'm doing okay but really what you've done is you've numbed your spirit to the reality of what you're currently doing and i'm not saying everybody's in that condition but i do think that most of us if we would evaluate what's going on in our hearts that we're close to a place of burnout and see i remember darren patrick he was talking to pastors about burnout and he said here's what happens he said, I took this book and I started to use the Bible as a tool for ministry and not a treasure to behold for my soul. He said, what I started to do was I took this word, which when I started was just something that I wanted in my heart. And when it would get in my heart, it would then get in my mouth and I would speak it to other people naturally. But when I got in ministry and I had all these burdens and I got so busy, he said, I just started to use it as a tool for sermons and not food for my soul. And rather than getting this word into my heart, I just got it into my mouth and I spoke it and it was never actually affecting my life. What happens when we as people are so busy that we got a small group coming up this week and we just read through a few verses to maybe have something to say, but we never took the time to actually let it impact our hearts. We're so busy, he says, that we allow these things to bypass us. And see, here's the issue. We need the bread of this to sustain us. And Jesus' invitation is to take up his yoke, to travel along his side, and to walk with him in that way. But see, one guy said it like this. Dallas Willard says it like this, speaking about the yoke of Jesus. He says, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. To in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently, and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does, it's a strategy bound to fail. 
In other words, what he's saying is producing Jesus' external life with none of his internal practices is an impossibility. We think, hey, I just need to go to church, say a prayer when I'm in the shower, etc., etc., and try to live externally the way that Jesus has called me to live, but never actually have any of the internal practices that Jesus actually had. And when Jesus talks about wearing his yoke, he's saying, I need you to have that relationship with the Father like I had. You have practices of prayer and quiet time with God. So Jesus offers us equipment. He says, you can put these practices and these beliefs into practice in your life, and then you'll find that all of a sudden you're carrying the weight of the world with a lot more ease because you have a deep, intimate connection with the one who can carry it all. And so let me give you, I'm closing right here, but let me give you three simple practices to take on Jesus' yoke. Now, there's a lot of practices. I mean, Jesus was fasting regularly. He was praying regularly. He was doing all these things. But these are three simple practices that if you can implement into your life, what you're going to do is you're going to take the yoke of Jesus on yourself on on a daily and a weekly basis, and you're going to find yourself at more rest, at more peace, and experiencing Jesus helping you carry that load. Number one, is scripture and i just go back to what darren patrick said what you need is a love relationship we go through the church and we say ah we're going to read through the new testament during this time and some people jump on the bandwagon some people don't but at some point in your christian life this thing has to be food for your soul i gotta be honest i don't have to tell you to go eat tonight do i you're gonna go do it you are and i don't even have to remind you This has to become something that is such nourishment to your soul that nobody else has to remind you. That you go to it because you know this is where my life is. And I need God to speak to my heart. And I practice Scripture getting into my heart on a regular basis. That is one of the practices. That's the yoke of Jesus. Another aspect of Jesus' life was that he practiced Sabbath. And sometimes he would mess people's idea of Sabbath up. But the idea was he kept the commandments of God. He gave 24 hours to God where he rested from his labors and he enjoyed the Lord. And here I'm going to tell you this and you're going to say, that's impossible, Clay. We can't do it. And if you think that it is impossible, you have adopted the mentality of a demonic society. It is possible. And not only that, it was commanded for, for people in the Old Testament and in the New Covenant, it is a principle that exists as a gift to you. And, and so what he's saying, Jesus is your rest, but he's saying take 24 hours where you turn your phone off if you have to. And it's not about just sitting before the Lord, it's about enjoying God. Do something with your family that y'all enjoy. Do something where you can unplug from the stresses of life and turn the noise off and turn the TV off and turn the phones off and you can pray together and you can have a, a meal together at a din- dinner table and you can be slow. And if you've got to drive somewhere that day, get in the long line. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of stuff to settle the rhythm of your soul back into a position where you're at rest and peace with God. That's what Sabbath is. It literally means rest. Silence and solitude. At some point or another, you've got to get to a place. And here's what I would encourage you. I even In our small groups, there was something in the books where it said, go take a 30-minute walk with God, right? How many of y'all did that? I ain't going to ask you to raise your hand. Amen. There you go. I have one there. Praise God. Uh, but but uh, 
Jesus would take that time, and here's what I would encourage you to do. Even if you can only figure out a way right now to do it once a week, take a half an hour, get alone in the secret place with God, or go take a walk with God and talk with God and turn off your phone and get disconnected with people. Have your spouse watch the children for a minute, whatever, and split up times. Take an hour and split up times, whatever you got to do. But find 30 minutes, hopefully every day. But even if it's just once a week where you can get alone with God and take time to steal yourself. You know, there's a book C.S. Lewis wrote, The Screwtape Letters, where a, where a chief demon is writing to his nephew, a lower level demon. And he says, basically, man, silence is the enemy of our cause. They said, how can we defeat the soul of a Christian if they have time to get in silence before the Lord? Consider that. One guy, St. John Climacus, the 6th century, he's a 6th century Syrian monk. He spent most of his life actually praying on Mount Sinai. But he said the friend of silence draws near to God. The devil in the screw tape letters, he says to the lower level demon, he says, you know, our kingdom is a kingdom of noise. And we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. How many of you, when you decide to pray, you're like, you know what, let's get everybody's kids together. Bring them in the living room. Let's try to pray. Amen. It doesn't work that well, does it? Amen. And, and, and the noise of our lives, our cell phones, our children, the ball games, school, work, events, birthday parties, demands, TV, all this noise, God is saying, you've got to unplug just for a moment. Get into a place of silence and solitude before God where in the stillness of your soul you can begin to hear His voice once again. And it'll be just enough because our God is merciful, y'all. Our God loves us so much, sometimes if we just give him a couple of minutes, he'll just remind us, I love you. I love you, and I'm so glad that you're in my presence. I'm not waiting. to. I don't want you to get in here so I can condemn you and tell you you've not been here enough. I want you to get in here so I can tell you just how much I love you and remind you of exactly who I've called you to be. In the presence of God, you're not going to find a condemning father who says, you don't measure up. You're going to find a God who loves you and refreshes you and pours rest into your souls. So the question is, what yoke are you bearing today? What's the weight and the burden that you're carrying that you've not yet brought to Jesus, that you've not yet come to Jesus? Everything that you are pursuing to try to deal with your anxiety, to deal with your fear, to deal with everything, none of those things will fill up what Jesus is designed to fill in the human heart. He is the rest and the answer for what your soul longs for. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to just consider what the Lord is speaking to you this morning. What is that burden you carry? What is that weight? What is that yoke? And let's just lay that at the feet of Jesus this morning. And let's come into His presence because He wants to strengthen you and He wants to give you rest for your souls. And I know there's people that are going through seasons in life right now where they feel so burdened and so weighed down. But I believe that Jesus wants to give you rest in that area this morning so lord I, i'm just praying right now god it may be it may be sin in our lives that we've not yet yielded to you that we need to repent of and receive forgiveness it may be a relationship issue it may be things in our past that we've not even talked to people about but it's weighing on us so heavy and we know that we need to open that up and bring that to you God, it could be financial issues and just the fear of the future. And will I be successful? And will I make it? And will these things happen? And God, all of those things are just an illusion. 
because we are complete in you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to come right now and bring that rest and bring that peace to every heart. Jesus, you asked us, you invited us to come to you and you would give us rest for our souls. So, Lord God, even in the practices of of resting and taking a Sabbath and getting alone with you in a quiet time and reading Scripture and praying, teach us, Lord Jesus, to daily take your yoke upon us so that we could walk in that rest and in that peace that only you offer. God, we bless your people this morning. And the Holy Spirit, as we worship, just pray that you do a work in each heart. Give people the ability to respond where they need to, God, and bring freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, they're going to they're gonna sing a song here, and there's an opportunity to worship. I just want you to take a moment in whatever way you choose. If you need prayer and would like us to pray with you for anything, Come forward. This altar's open. You can pray alone. If you'd like us to pray, you can ask us to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. But could you just take the next three to five minutes to worship and to unload your burden on the Lord and to allow Him to speak peace in your heart? Maybe you want to pray at your seat. Maybe you want to stand and worship. But just take a few moments right here as they sing to respond to the Lord.